Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you and praise you for this opportunity, Father, to gather together and to worship you. Father, we thank you and praise you for your word and your grace. Father, we pray that everything done and said today will be to the upbuilding of your kingdom. And we give you the praise and honor and glory for it in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. <clears throat> so this old boy from the backwoods got hired on a crew. And um, the first day they sat down to lunch, the, one of his buddies opened his thermos and his coffee was just hot. It was a cold day and his coffee was just hot. And he was like, man, that's amazing. How is that coffee so hot? And he said, well, this thermos keeps things hot. He said, man, that's pretty good. So he went on a couple weeks and it was a hot day and the guy opened his thermos again and he said, you ain't drinking coffee today. And he said, oh, no, no, no. Today I got a milkshake because it's so hot. I want to cool down. He said, wait a minute. I thought that thing made things hot. And he said, no, it keeps cold things cold and hot things hot. So old hillbilly said, I got to get me one of them. So he came in the next week and he said, I got me one of them thermoses. And the guy said, oh, really? He said, yeah. He said, what'd you got in it? He said, a bowl of chili and two scoops of ice cream. <clears throat> Dane, all tens. It is what it is. <clears throat> all right. So last week we talked about uh, uh, what the church is and where the church came from, right? We talked about how in about a four or five minute sermon, a couple thousand people got saved with Peter um, speaking to people and that the, the church it is not necessarily the building that we're standing in, but the church is quite literally the people who sit inside. And today, we're going to go a little deeper into that, and I'm going to tell you that the church is really not the people sitting inside, but it's the person sitting inside. Because when Jesus said that I'll tear down the temple, and, or if you tear down the temple, I'll build it back in three days, he was talking about on the inside of us, right? And so in the inside of us, we have, if we're saved, if we're born again, we have a personal relationship with Christ. That's what makes Christianity really exceptional, different, whatever you want to say. But it's the only religion in the world where you, no matter who you are, no matter how old you are, no matter how young you are, no matter what you look like or how you talk or where you, how you walk or where you work or anything else, that you have a personal relationship with the creator of the universe. And that is the, that's the thing that stum, that's the stumbling block for a lot of folks against Christianity, that they don't, can't comprehend, right, that God, the creator of the universe, also cares enough about you to have a personal relationship with you. And that's really the best part. Minus that, you know, Jesus died and, 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 and went to hell for us where we don't have to do that. But I mean, he did that because he loved us and because he loves us so much, he developed that personal relationship with us that we have the opportunity to communicate with the creator of the universe. Now that is a, if you step back and look at it, that is a pretty odd way to look at it, right? I mean, it is pretty amazing to think that, you know, Thousands of years ago, there was a being, and it said, let there be light, and created the air, heaven, and the earth, and the land, and the water, and all the creatures, and designed all of the stuff that we're looking at, yet has time enough to spend with us personally. See, that's what makes God awesome. What makes God awesome is that we have, the Bible says that we should go boldly to the throne of Christ, right? That we should be 
we have such a personal relationship inside of the church, but inside of our own being that we have such a personal relationship that it creates who we are. And today's title is, Who Are You? And, and, and it, we're going to go kind of some, 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 some pretty high points. It's not going to be a, 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 a long, drawn-out process, so hopefully y'all can, won't be too bored. But um, it's who we are. And who we are are children of God, right? We're the sons and daughters of Christ. We're joint heirs with Christ. We're the sons and daughters of God, joint heirs with Christ, right? We are a child of God. And because we are a child of God, we become part of the body of Christ, right? Now, a lot of times when we talk about who we are, we're talking about being blessed and healed and saved and redeemed and, and, and all of that stuff. But today we're just talking about you personally. Who are you personally, right? If you started off with somebody that's never met you, how, who are you? Who are you? And most of us are going to start off with our name and you know, depending on the age or whoever, right? If you're meeting older people from your hometown, you start off with your name and then you start off with your, um, your people, right? I'm Stump Keller's grandson, my mama's his oldest daughter, right? You get into the, the lay down of where it come from, right? Calvert was my grandfather on the Valentine side, right? I mean, his, his birthday was yesterday. It, it, you get into who I am, right? But really, if we talk about who we are for very long, Right? I mean, you know, I'm a contractor, I'm a pastor, I'm a girl dad, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a son of God. Because uh, unfortunately, when we start talking about who we are, a lot of times our personal relationship with God gets close to the bottom of the list. In fact, you could have friends who might think you're a Christian, who might speculate that you might be a Christian, you might go to a crazy church, but you probably never told them. And see, that's bad. Because if we are part of the body of Christ, our primary number one job is to be doing that, being part of the body of Christ. It's a tough question, and I want you to listen to it. I want you to take it to heart, but I want you to think about it for just a second. If the future of the church, or if the revival, or if the body of Christ had to depend on what you did last week, where would we be? Where would we be? Would the kingdom be advancing and moving forward? Would it be stagnant? Would it be moving backwards? And you go, well, that ain't fair. You know, I got lots of stuff, and I got kids, and I got a job, and I got, I don't care. What is our primary job? Our primary job is to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Matthew says it in 28. Uh, gospel according to Matthew 28 and... Uh, we'll start with 17. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey what I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even until the very end of the age. So the church is not a stagnant point that just 
We come here, we listen to a little short, fat, bald guy for 30 minutes. We kind of agree most of the time. Makes me feel better sometimes. Makes me feel worse sometimes. And then we go home. That is not your job. That's not your job. <clears throat> Man, I know y'all hate softball references. Oh, I can't help it. If you only show up to games and are ready to play, and you don't practice at any point in time during the week, are you going to get any better? Oh, no. In fact, you get worse, right? I mean, yeah. if you're a mere mortal like everybody that I know, you get worse. The more practice and effort that you put in, what happens? Most people get better. And if you don't get better, maybe you're not doing it right. But I'm just saying, most people, you just don't show up and get better. That's the same with lifting weights. That's the same with dieting. That's the same with running. That's the same with playing ball. You don't just show up on game day for a few minutes and hang out and go home and get better. I don't know how this works. It would be the equivalent of walking in the gym, flexing in the mirror to see what your muscles look like, and walking back out and go, man, I don't know why it ain't getting no bigger. I don't know why I haven't gotten any better. But the truth is that it, it is your, and I'll say our, it is our responsibility, our responsibility to move the kingdom of God forward. So who we are, we're ambassadors of Christ, right? That's what Paul says, that we are ambassadors of Christ. So if we're not going about doing good, teaching, healing, praying, witnessing, moving the gospel forward, then you're not doing your job. And I don't care what your real job is. I don't care if you're a brain surgeon or a garbage guy. I don't care if you don't got a job. I don't care if you're retired. I don't care if you're still in school. I don't care if you never graduated from school. Your number one job as a Christian is moving forward the gospel of Christ. That's it. That's number one. It's God first and then spouse, and then children, and then job. And that's tough because we get that all mixed up, right? We like the old redneck with the two scoops of ice cream and the chili in the same thing. It, we ain't thinking right. We put God last and muddle through life to where we're not doing our job. We're not a very good example. I mean, look, <clears throat> now, wait a minute, let me back up. I don't expect, nobody expect for someone to get saved this week and go on a mission trip to Africa or Haiti or wherever next week and be an evangelist and speak in tongues and, 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 and be casting out demons and doing all this stuff. That, that's, not one, that's not first week material. But I know a lot of folks that are in 40-year material that still act like we first week Christians. I mean, Kaylee and Kinsley or Kate and Ann Hunter or Jensen, none of those children drove to church this morning, right? They, didn't, they probably didn't dress themselves. They probably didn't fix their own hair, right? They're all little teeny tiny somethings. And everybody in here is okay with that. Everybody. But if you're over the age of about 15 and you didn't fix your own hair, or you didn't put on your own clothes, or you didn't brush your own teeth, or you didn't put on deodorant, or you can't drive to church, then we have a problem. You're still a baby, right? What would it look like if you were 
16, 18 years old and walked in in a diaper with a bottle and a passy, right? And mom and daddy walked you in in a car seat and burped you after you got done. How funny would that look? Immediately, we would think something's really, really bad wrong, right? I mean, immediately. But how many Christians do we have that are 20-year-old Christians who still got on a diaper, who still got their baba and their little blankie, and they have their little safety net, and they only worry about what God says when we get here on Sunday morning? And I didn't mean for, I promise this is not a beat down sermon, I'm sorry. It's not a beat down sermon. It's just a reality check. It's, re, it's really a reality check. Because the reality is, is we either are doing what we're supposed to do or we're not doing what we're supposed to do. And if you don't tell anybody, they may or may not know whether you're doing what you're supposed to do or not. So if I'm stepping on your toes and hurting your feelings, if you just smile and say every minute, every once in a while, nobody will know it's you. I don't know you. I don't, I mean, I don't follow y'all around. I don't. Oh, I saw a man to do this. Sadie Beth did that. Now, now, these people that sit over here that belong to me, I keep up with you. But the rest of y'all, I don't keep up with y'all or what you're doing every day, how you're acting, how you're walking, how you're talking, how you drive, how you act at work, how you act at your friends. But I'm telling you right now, we are the body of Christ. We are. There is nobody else. There's not another group coming it's going to pick up your slack. There's not magic little fairies that show up and do your job. It's not. If you were the same Christian that you are a mother or a father, what would your house or family look like? Would your kids be all dressed all neat and nice and mock dresses? What is it? Smock, mock, smock. Smock dresses with initials on them and clean and new shoes on and look so good. If you were the same Christian as you were the same mama, what would they look like? Some of y'all's youngers would be naked. If you knew where they were at. If you knew where they were at. It's a reality check. There's nobody else showing up to do this. There's nobody else showing up to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Now... I'm going to tell you, if a generation fails, the generation under them will catch up their slack. That doesn't afford you the opportunity to not do your job. Paul says in Corinthians, <clears throat> um, 1 Corinthians 12, which is where the gifts of the Spirit are in the first group, but we're talking about 12-12, uh, just that the body has many parts, but all the parts form one body. So is it with Christ. For we are all baptized by one spirit. We are so formed one body. Whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free, we are all given the one spirit to drink. We are the body of Christ. Everybody has different parts. We have different parts. We all have the same job. We are to go into all the world and preach the gospel and set captivity captive. That's what we're supposed to do. And if we're not doing our job, shame on us. And look, people reach people different ways, right? I mean, if you follow my mother on Facebook, whatever the Bible app scripture of the day is, my mama saves that picture, puts it on Facebook. And that's not a huge evangelism tool, right? It's not some crazy thing. I mean, she's not like standing on the street corner with, you know, turn or burn signs. That's not what she's doing. But every day she puts God's word on Facebook. So if you're friends with her, unless you muted her like I do Stephen, um, you see what, 
I mean, look, it's a hundred and how many days, Stephen? 139 days before Clemson football comes back. I muted Stephen. As soon as he starts the countdown, mute. Mute for 30 days. I don't need to hear that. I can't stand it. I don't want to hear it. But unless you muted my mama, you see God's word every day. And that's not some, oh man, she's doing super fantastic. I think she's doing okay. But she's not, you know, beating down doors or nothing. And then not everybody is built to be in... An evangelist, right? I mean, not everybody's built to that, right? Even Paul said we gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some teachers, and right? We, everybody has different roles. But, but you have to find out what your role is and live up to the ability of your role. Because how about if the evangelists and the pastors and the preachers and the apostles and the prophets didn't do their part? What would happen what would happen if the leadership in the church stopped? What would happen if the Christians stopped? Well, the world would be in a pretty bad place, huh? Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> Stop me if you heard this. We already are not in a very good spot. Why? Well, because the enemy is busy. Okay, well, what do we do? What do you do if you're fighting against the enemy and the enemy is really busy attacking you in different fronts? Do you quit paying attention and watch Housewives another episode or Big Bang Theory or whatever you watch? I don't know. I watch Big Bang Theory because I think they're idiots. But I mean, you, you, get, you, get un, you get unplugged. Is that how you win? If you're in a game with somebody who is a worthy adversary, who is attacking you on all fronts, who is going about trying to figure out like a roaring lion, trying to figure out who he can devour, what do you do to win? Show up for 30 minutes on Sunday morning? three or four Sundays a month sometimes? You're not fighting a good fight. Paul says, I ran a good race. I fought a good fight. I did everything I was supposed to do. I want to be that guy. I want you to be those guys and gals. We did what we were supposed to do. We were lived up to the calling on our life. But the calling on our life is not not doing anything. There's not a single time to where God said, Hey, we're over here preaching the gospel, but you need to just chill and be quiet and don't do nothing. I can't, I can't find a single guy or gal that he told him, you're doing too much for the body of Christ. We really need you to calm down a little bit. Now, we have a bad habit as Christians to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and beat people about the head and neck area with it. And that is also not a very good approach. Jesus won people over because he loved them, he cared for them, he went about doing good, he healed them, he tended to them the whole time he was here. They called him the good shepherd. Our job as sheep is to produce more sheep. Our job is to be the hands and feet of Christ. So when we are the hands and feet of Christ, we're supposed to be doing our part Advancing the kingdom of God. And I feel it. I'm not a preacher. That's not my job. I get it. But I can't, I can't get it out of my spirit. I can't get it off of my heart. There are people in your life that the gospel only comes through you. I'm going to say that again. There are people in your life 
that the gospel only comes through you. Not me. They don't follow me on Facebook. They don't listen to me. They don't like me. They don't whatever. The gospel only comes through you. Jesus is sitting on the right hand of God. He's done what he said he was supposed to do. We are supposed to go about doing good, preaching the gospel, casting out demons, speaking in new tongues. We, us, the body of Christ, the church, who are we? We are them. We are the generation it is to, man, look here. Revival is coming. Revival is coming. Man, I want to be a part of it. I want us to be so full in here that we're going to start talking about having two services, bless God. And right now we could have this week and last week Sunday, and y'all all might can sit on one side. We, it's coming. It's coming. God's word is true. Every word of it is. But for us to advance the kingdom of God, do you know when, when God, if you go back to the Old Testament, right? If you go back to the Old Testament, and, and, and he's an easy guy to pick on, but let's just talk about Jonah, right? God told Jonah, told him to go preach the gospel, right? Tell him to go tell those people to repent and turn to God. And Jonah said, I ain't doing that. I'm going the other direction. I'm getting that heck out of here. I don't want to play no more. And if you know the story, right? It was a storm. Why is God mad? He threw Jonah in the water, swished the big fish, swallowed him, and he lived inside the belly of the whale for three days and three nights, the same time that Jesus spent in hell three days and three nights, right? And I would imagine, I mean, I, I talk about the physical all the time, right? Because I, I don't think we comprehend the physical, but can you imagine the lovely smell that was taking place just sitting inside? And I don't know why I'm a smell guy, but can you imagine what the guts of a fish smell like? I mean, if you gut a fish... And clean the fish, it smells really bad for a few seconds, and then you wash that off your hands, and, and then you go on about your business, right? But I'm talking about living inside of it for three days and three nights. It's torment. It is torment, right? And then he said, what? Oh, wait a minute. I imagine he prayed a little bit. Y'all reckon he prayed a little bit in those three days and three nights? I mean, for the first few minutes, he probably thought, well, this is it, right? I ain't never making it out of here. I mean, I don't know how you... I don't know how you come back from there, right? I mean, I've fallen down a few times. I've never been inside the belly of a huge fish, except for the one we built out here in the, in the garage once upon a time. But, but God wanted his word told, right? The whole object of the story in Nineveh was, is that Jonah was supposed to go there and tell them what God said. Why didn't God tell them? He did. He sent Jonah. So when you're standing there looking at somebody going, God, I sure hope you send somebody to help them. Who you reckon that is? He already sent Jesus to the earth one time. And he gave you, what did he say in Matthew 28? I, I don't know what he said. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples to all the nations. That, he gave us his authority. He was given authority. Now we have the authority. So if you see a situation, you man, I sure hope God shows up and does something. If that thought has crossed your mind, if there is somebody in your life that you go, man, I, God, if you would just show them your love and grace. And you still standing there waiting on God to show them your love and grace. 
You're missing the point of what we do in here. It's, it's you. That's the hint. It's you. You are it. You are God's love and grace. We are the hands and feet of Christ. It is our job to show up and do our job. And if somebody is hurting, if somebody is in pain, if somebody is in lack, if somebody looks like they need a miracle, maybe, just maybe, it comes from you. And you go, well, I don't really have time. Really? Because if you flip the script and think about it, and you put yourself in that situation, and you reverse back into a time in your life to where you needed somebody to show up and help you, or if you needed a miracle and God showed up with somebody and with money or, or food or, or help or encouragement or just somebody to listen to, right? You think about all the times that you've been low in your life or you've had hard times and somebody just showed up and you go, man, I sure am thankful. And then you think about that same situation now to where somebody is sitting there in pain, in agony, and you go, man, I wish God would just show up in their life. It's you. You were it. It's your turn. And I don't care if you're 97 or 7 or anything in between or 98 next year when Miss Elsie turns 98 or 99 or 105. It don't matter. We not go with that. There's no limit on God. But I don't care how old you are, how young you are, what you look like or where you come from, or if you have the best education in the room or the worst education in the room. Think about the disciples. Were they educated folks? I mean, I can't imagine the fishermen that was real educated folks, right? I mean... That's the people that, that, that Jesus handpicked to preach the gospel were tax collectors and, and fishermen and common folk. And you go, well, yeah, well, I, I, don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to know. Oh, well, let's see. Uh, First Peter. See, this one gets me, right? Oh, that's Ephesians. That was, we didn't get to that one. Maybe. First Peter. First uh, Peter, ver, uh, chapter 3. Uh, let's say uh, verse 13. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? Question mark. But even if you should suffer what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats and do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord, period. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that you have. We should walk around with the gospel on the tip of our tongue. If somebody says, why do you have, because Jesus loves me. And it's that simple. It's Jesus loves me. And if you say for one second, for one second, I don't know my Bible well enough to lead somebody to Christ. Bro, that is a serious problem. There's only one solution. I promise it's not by folding it up. And setting it on the coffee table until next Sunday when you pick it up to walk back in the door. Romans says that we should renew our mind daily. <clears throat> daily. There is only one way. Two ways. You can listen to it. But there's really only one way to learn. How do you learn? I mean, everybody has different learners, right? It's visual learners, listening learners, writing learners. Most of y'all at this age should probably figure out how you learn, and some of you think you probably can't learn anymore, but I promise you can. It's reading your Bible. 
It's meditating on God's word. The Bible says that if you lack wisdom to ask, God will give it to you. But if we can't live up to our deal right here in, in, in 1 Peter 3 to where we don't have the answer or why we have hope in God, we're not very good Christians. And I'm not saying you're not going to heaven and God don't love you. I'm just saying if we're the hands and feet of Christ, right, and we're showing up to be God's hands and feet in that time of need for somebody else, and they go, well, why do you love God or why do you think God loves you and you don't have an answer for that? Number one, if you don't have an answer for that and you get to there, give them my phone number. I will talk to them. I don't care what time it is. Number two, shame on you. Shame on you. Read your Bible. Develop your word. Everybody in here, everybody in here has a different experience of where they felt God in their life. Everybody. And your situation or your testimony or your experience of what God is might be exactly what somebody needs to hear. Not mine, right? Might be mine, might not be mine. I mean, I don't have a very good testimony. I mean, I've been right here my whole life. I never sit under another pastor. I've been right, I don't, I don't have a very good testimony. Some of y'all do. We should be ready with the gospel at the drop of a pen. Ready. You want to know about Jesus? Let me tell you about Jesus. Right? And if we're not, then we're not doing very good. So then the answer to who are you, we are the body of Christ. And we should be acting like the body of Christ. We should be able to take the gospel to the corners of the world. Or to Alvin. Or to Edytown. Or to Pinopolis. Or to Pineville. Or to Lanes. Because everybody wants to talk about being an evangelist and going about. Bro, there's plenty of people in the streets of St. Stephen and Monk's Corner and Bono and Ma Macedonia that aren't saved. That need to hear what you know. You hold the key to their salvation. It's amazing. Because if you go back and look at Go back in, in, in your own life and you think about the things that transpired to lead you to be in church. Who did it and why, right? Mine was because my mama told me that I didn't have a choice. We never, we, you don't have a choice. It was get beat or go to church. It's pretty easy. But not everybody has that same experience. See, I told you I don't have a very good, I don't have a very good example. I, did, I don't know no better. But some of y'all do, right? Some of y'all grew up in houses where you didn't have to go to church. What changed? What showed you what God looks like? What showed you what God's love looks like? That's valuable information. Nobody else has your information. You're holding the keys. Now, you can't save them. That's not what I'm saying. But you have the information. Hosea says that my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Destroyed. So if you see somebody in a terrible situation to where they need Jesus to show up and give them some love, some grace, some money, some food, some time, some personal experience, some whatever, the instant you think they need God, you should think they need me. They need me. They need you. I don't know everybody you know. 
I don't have the experience that you have. I only have mine. So, what can we do? Well, we need to read our Bible more. Check. We need to be ready with the answer of why we have hope in God. It should be on the tip of our tongue. Check. Like, share, Facebook. I mean, and as dumb as it sounds, I get the weirdest people say, you know, so-and-so shared this on Facebook the other day, and I got to see you preach. Man, you almost did a good job. And I'll go, I appreciate it. I thank you. You don't know who you reach. It's our job. If you're waiting on somebody else to show up and do what God sent you to do, what a miserable life to lead. And I'm going to tell you, out of all the jobs that I do, right, and the, the coaching and the, and, the, and the building, and the, this one is the most rewarding. <clears throat> and I don't know if I can do it or not. I know I'm over time. I'm almost done. Sally has a guy <clears throat> that, that works for her. <clears throat> He's been very sick. He's been in the hospital. Was unconscious for a long period of time, whatever. Um, really bad. Really bad. Young guy. Young. I mean, big, strapping young man. But young guy. <clears throat> and she told me one day, she's like, I'm sorry, but I volunteered you to go to the hospital and pray for him. Now, right now, because of my clergy badge, I can go in and see people in the hospital. They, they fix the rules of where I actually can go back in the hospital now. But, but places like MUSC, you can only have like one or two visitors over your course of stay. So I'm not, I mean, you know, that's a spouse or child or whatever. That's not me. But because of my clergy badge, I can go in and I can see those people, right? Um, if I'm requested. And I was requested, so I went in and saw him. And I, I don't know him. I never met him. And uh, he unconscious and, and been unconscious for 45, 50 days, 60 days. I don't know, a long time. And I went in and I started reading the gospel to him and I, I preached to him for a little while. And y'all thinking he's, I'm crazy because he's unconscious, I know. And I prayed for him and I just sat with him and I read him some more scripture. And then, you know, it's amazing. All of a sudden, everything started getting better, right? His, his numbers got better. He started waking up. He started being more responsive. They've been out for a long time. But all of a sudden, it just started getting better. But then he had a little setback in uh, last Monday. Uh, last Thursday, Thursday, two weeks ago, we had a really good day. Uh, last Monday, I got up to go to work and was getting in the shower and said, I got to go to the hospital today. Now, I hadn't talked to Sally. Last thing we heard is he was awake and doing so much better. I got to go to the hospital today. Philip called me. What are you doing? I'm going to the hospital. Something happened? Nope. God told me I'm going to the hospital. I'm going to the hospital. So I packed my stuff up and drove down to the hospital. Well, when I got there, when I talked to the nurse, he had really taken a big step backwards. Right? A really huge step backwards. <clears throat> Went back unconscious, was not responsive. So here again, I, I laid hands on him, I prayed for him, I spent time in the room with him. And, and, and I'm not, it's not Robbie's ability, okay? I, it ain't nothing to do with Robbie. I just showed up where God was needed. That's it. God was needed, they needed a miracle, everybody else was busy, I wasn't. I could take Monday morning off. So I went in there Monday morning. I laid hands on him. I prayed for him. I read him scripture again. I just sat and talked to him and told him how much God loved him, how much God wanted him to be healed. <clears throat> Man. Thursday, I got a picture of him sitting up in his hospital bedroom with his glasses on, acknowledging people, talking to people. Now, <clears throat> I told him, 
here again, unconscious, I've never seen him conscious, that he was going to be such a great testimony for God's love and grace. That his testimony was going to be amazing. That he is going to walk out of the hospital, and I told him about like this, so if he was awake, he'd say, shut up, cry baby, and quit telling me like that, but he is going to be such a great testimony. They had basically wrote him off. They had brought in the end-of-life care folks in the hospital, right? They had wrote him off. And because Sally was bold enough to offer, and because I was bold enough to go, this kid is going to walk out of the hospital. He is going to be healed. And it's going to be a miracle. And I didn't do anything special except for be obedient. That's it. I don't have any more authority over something than you do. I don't have any more ability over something than you do. All I did was my job. The hands and feet of Christ were needed, and I showed up. And that's it. And I'm, not, I'm, I'm really not very good at that. I mean, I prayed from my house to downtown Charleston. God, give me strength to be in the room with this man. And he did. And I held it together and was composed. But all I did was my job. Not my job as a pastor. The only thing that got me in the door was the badge. Don't get me wrong. But all I did was my job as a body of Christ person. I showed up and did what Jesus would do. That's it. I laid hands on him. I prayed for him. I told him about the gospel. I read him God's word. I encouraged him and I loved on him. That's it. That didn't cost me a penny. It doesn't cost you a penny either. But it's important. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. Father, we thank you that we are the body of Christ. That we are prepared to go into all the world and preach the gospel, Father. That we want to be used. We want to be exactly who you want us to be. In Jesus' most precious name. Amen. <clears throat> if anybody has a need for prayer, if they'll come up, I'll be happy to pray with them.